Welcome to the Perimenopausal Mamas podcast for hormonal mamas who want to reclaim their own natural state of health to thrive and raise healthy kids. I'm Dr. Lisa Weeks, naturopathic doctor in Toronto, Canada, and I'm a perimenopausal mama to my little boy named Stuart. And I'm Dr. Tony Reed, naturopathic doctor, birth doula, and hypnobirthing educator in Calgary, Canada, and I'm a perimenopausal mama to my little girl, Frankie. Thanks for supporting us for the past 100 episodes. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also support us by visiting our Patreon page, where you can find out how you can join us for our monthly patron webinar, where we do a deeper dive discussion about all things perimenopause. The information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. It is not meant to substitute professional medical advice. Always consult with your licensed healthcare provider. Welcome back, everyone, to the Perimenopausal Mamas podcast. This is Dr. Tony, and I'm with Dr. Lisa today. Yay, I missed you, Tony. <laughs> Miss you all the time, Dr. Lisa. Um, it's so nice to be together. And um, what we're really, what I really wanted to talk about and, and what what also you, Lisa, wanted to pick my brain on is uh, a lot of the work that I've really been diving into in the past couple of years around um, our, the mind-body connection to our hormones and health. And it, and I, you know, I've definitely touched on it in the, in a few episodes. And, and so we thought, okay, let's really have a conversation around what this all means, especially, you know, there's so many of us, um, so many women out there where we, we, we have, can have so much stress and so much overwhelm in our lives and it can impact us and it can impact the symptoms how our hormone fluctuations can manifest i really really realized this when i started teaching hypnobirthing and it's like okay let's really have this conversation and really kind of dive a bit deeper and dig a bit deeper to look at really what's there and what you know what really is operating us and and what how our hormones can really you know go astray when it comes to having our our mind and can we really harness the power of our mind to work for us instead of fighting against us especially in perimenopause yeah i think it's so important to talk about cuz a lot of people don't think about you know a stressor is our perception of something that we don't have the ability to cope with. It's a perception, right? And then it like ends up in this cascade of events from our brain to our adrenal glands, even affecting potentially our ovaries, where our body goes into this fight or flight response because we think we can't survive, even if it's like, oh, I'm you know not prepared for that work presentation or I'm stressed about my child's health. We have this full cascade of hormones hormones that actually change our biology based on our perception of something. And we get can get into that sympathetic nervous system, right? That fight or flight, which we've talked about, which, you know, our body has to prioritize the most important things to survive. Digestion, reproduction, not being 
any of the ones that are prioritized in that moment, because basically our resources are being used to send blood to our brain and our muscles and oxygen so we can run away and basically get away from that saber-toothed tiger. And then when we become safe and get into that parasympathetic nervous system, hopefully we escaped or our perception of that stressor changed. And we're like, you know what, I saw the naturopath and we have a plan for my child's health. I'm feeling better about this. Or, oh, I really rocked that presentation, even though I didn't think I was going to. We get into that parasympathetic nervous system and then our brain tells our body we're safe and we're able to rest, we're able to digest, connect, nurture, sleep. So this is, you know, in our biology. And I love that we're talking about it today, Tony, because you've really immersed yourself um, in different ways to approach this. Absolutely. Because yeah, that, you know, that sympathetic, that fight or flight, that a lot of us spend a lot of our day (laughs) in that mode, has an impact on our hormones, having that adrenaline and that cortisol and having, you know, this brilliant way that our body is able is designed to survive is fantastic. Like, thank goodness we have it, we wouldn't be alive if we didn't have this, you know, fight or flight response. And we're not designed to stay in that mode for all of the time that we are typically in that mode. And and then and really because what that fight or flight mode isn't is it isn't a healing mode. It isn't a repair mode. Again, you you mentioned like yeah, digestion is kind of, you know, the the bottom priority, you know, when when our our brain thinks that we're running from that saber-toothed tiger or that bear out in the wild, it doesn't care about digesting your food. It doesn't care about maintaining a proper balance of estrogen and progesterone. It doesn't mean it's not worried about reproducing in that moment. It's worried about surviving and living. And even if we're not running away from a bear, because that's not typically what it is. It's again, the other things it's yeah. Dealing with the kids and dealing with, you know, what's going to be for supper and um, taking the kids to different activities and managing all of the work um, obligations. And especially, you know, if there's overwork, if you're not set up in a really healthy work environment, that's going to have an impact. And and maybe it's like, oh, how do I manage and plan with my partner and, and have time to have fun and like all of those things. And oh, if my parents are getting older, and I worry about their health and taking care of them, or Maybe you have, you know, kids that have other, um, you know, bigger health issues uh, Then it's like, okay, there's all this caregiving that we're, we're in. And, you know, those, those little, those stressors that, you know, those acute stressors that were designed to manage actually turn into like everyday distress. And... And that takes a lot, that takes a toll on us physic- physically, for sure, mentally, emotionally, but definitely physically in terms of depleting us from nutrients, but also just not being in the space where our body is really designed to function optimally. 
Definitely. And then there's the aspect of programming and expectations on ourselves and our previous experiences that also play a role in our nervous system's responsiveness to situations. So if we think, you know, if if someone, let's say you were bullied as a child, and now when something happens, you know, you may react in anger because you think people are out to get you and they're trying to hurt you. Whereas someone else might think like, oh, well, that person, they're just weren't paying attention. No, they didn't do that to try to piss me off. But that was just they were just kind of in their own mode. And even I, you know, becoming a mother for me, I had these, I guess it was subconscious expectations, because I grew up and my mom was home most of the time she worked part time as I got older, I saw my aunts, most of them were at home and you know, looking after the household and the chores and all of those things. My dad was very, you know, um, open and wanted us to go to university. And obviously, we were in the age when it was more expected that, you know, women were getting into the workforce and doing all the jobs that men could do. I'm not that old. I'm only 49, 45. But it was still like fairly, you know, fairly new in the grand scheme of things. So I always had in my mind, yeah, I'm going to have a career. I'm going to work full time. I'm going to have a family. Um, But then when it came time to actually give birth to Stuart and start raising him, and I went back to work pretty early on when he was only two and a half months old, I had this struggle of like, I'm not doing it the way I've seen it been done as a mother. I'm not making, I was making all those meals, but that was ridiculous. I couldn't do that as I was working. <laughs> and that was a, a you know source of burnout. But I was like, I'm not doing it the way I've seen it. And I was like, am I a bad mom? I'm not there all the time. You know, I'm having to get a lot of help from other people. He's at daycare long days. Um, so this programming then can be a source of stress too. And we don't even realize it because it's just subconscious. We think things have to be done a certain way, or we respond from past experiences. So I know you wanted to talk a little bit about programming, right, Tony? Absolutely, Lisa. I mean, that's so key. Because even if, again, even if you had a great childhood, and I mean, I would characterize my childhood as um, as really a, a great childhood and, 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 you know, with a supportive family. And, and again, maybe you would describe the same for you as well. Now, we do have this kind of imprint period in our developmental stage from the time we were, you know, from the time we're born until about seven, eight years old, where we take on all of these values and decisions and beliefs from, you know, our parents, our family, our culture, our society, our religion, even. And, um, and those really, like, those, those are really ingrained in us when um when we're young and you know especially as girls as women you know we're there's this idea of you know what is a good girl you know sugar and spice and everything nice and um i mean i was just talking also to uh, a good friend of mine where she was it was really um implicitly and explicitly communicated to her that you don't speak up mm-hmm. <laughs> And so how then does that, do you take that in? And then when you become a mother, well, you know, you can't speak up, you need to do the way things are supposed to be done. How are the ways things supposed to be done? Well, again, things have changed over the past few generations, like you mentioned, Lisa, you know, just a a touch, right? And that's like, how do you be? you know, what is it to be a mother? What is it to be a working mother? What does it mean to be a woman when we're taking on all of this stuff that we haven't traditionally taken on? 
Definitely. I think what really helped me was, so I was getting some cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia and, you know, this sort, one of the sources of stress was talking about this, like all the experience I had as a child, I'm not necessarily going to give Stuart the same experience, but um, the therapist said to me, but you're going to give him all of these other experiences of showing that you're in a, you know, career that you love, that you're passionate about what you do, how to, you know, juggle work home life and he can learn different things from me and he's going to have different experience. It doesn't mean they're bad. They're just going to be different. So that was really powerful to shift that thought pattern and that belief. Absolutely, Lisa. That I mean, that's so key. And, and here's the thing, like we get to model what it is to be a, you know, a healthy, successful woman to both our girl kids like me and our boy kids like you. Definitely. And even like, what does it mean to be in like a healthy, loving relationship? And, you know, what are the roles? You know, what do girls do and what do boys do? And, you know, what do people do? And regardless of being girls or boys. And this is where this is just a such a beautiful time where we get to heal so much from what our parents and our grandparents weren't able to. And we get to do that for not only ourselves, but also for our kids and, and future generations. And and we get to, to really make these big shifts, especially in a way that just wasn't available before and and that we like our parents and our grandparents didn't even think about, (laughs) you know, there, it wasn't even in the conversation. Um, because like we really now wait, know way more about how our brain, how our mind works. And we know that, you know, 95% of all of our thoughts and emotions and behaviors are driven by deeply ingrained subconscious patterns. And now there is a certain amount, you know, you can think of your mind like an iceberg where there's a, there's a lot you can see above the surface, you know, there's what we can analyze and what we're conscious of and what we're aware of. And again, um, you know, you even spoke to that, Lisa, like, you know, (laughs) having these kind of conversations. And again, this is why we do what we're doing with this podcast, right? Is the conversations, how we hear different people's perspectives and viewpoints can change how we think consciously and how we see things consciously. Absolutely. And there's so much more under the surface that we're not even aware of. That is like be just a complete blind spot of how we automatically react and respond to everything that we're bombarded with. Because yeah, yeah, it's like a lens, right? We all wear different lenses and we see the world through those lenses. And the same situation could elicit totally opposite beliefs or feelings um, in different people. Absolutely, Lisa. Like we all see the world in a different way completely. And and again, we're bombarded by so much different, so much information, and especially, and especially with all the technology now, especially with like social media and everything. Like on average, we're taking in twelve million bits of information per second, which is a lot. Like if our brain and our mind really had to 
process all of that information. Like I could just imagine my brain would just, you know, be mush, more mush than sometimes it is already, right? And so we have filters. And especially when you think of of the model of how the brain works and the mind works, when we use um, thinking of neurolinguistic programming, which again, I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about too. But thinking of this particular model of how we take in this information, well, we can't process all that information. So we do have these or filters, different lenses of how we see the world. And what are those filters? Those are our memories, our, the decisions, beliefs, values that we took in when we were young, um, even other experiences, our personality, our attitudes, um, you know, language will impact that as well, so that we can distill all of that information that we're bombarded with into bits of information that are more manageable, like about 128 bits per second, which is still a lot, but it's still like way more manageable. And so, yeah, like consciously, we can look at, okay, like, how do we regulate our nervous system? How do we have emotional regulation? And there's definitely different conscious things that we can do and, and be mindful of and have presence of. And we have these, again, automatic reactions and responses. We are creatures of habit. You know, we we do get stuck repeating patterns that our brain is accustomed to. Uh, even another friend of mine had heard it described as like, you know, we've dug these trenches in our brain for how many years now? A number of years. And it's, you know, it's not our fault that we're stuck in those in those patterns. It's it's like you know, expecting you, your phone and the apps on your phone to run um, properly without getting an update. Well, how do we get updates to these programs that we've had since, since we were five, six years old? And again, we can look at it in a conscious way. And if <laughs> we now know that, you know, 95% of kind of our behaviors and our results are based in the subconscious unconscious mind and and that um brain you know um the striatum is is kind of the place where our habits reside it you know automates our thoughts emotions and behaviors like how do we get into that and how do we change that and that is you know really tapping into the the power of our unconscious mind. Um, and even, you know, a, a way to think of it too, is a lot of people know about placebo, right? You know, we definitely know about placebo, you know, we have these, you know, uh, these sci scientific research studies that are double blind placebo controlled studies. There's a reason why we have to have these research studies that take placebo into account because it's the power of our mind, because there is a certain um, level of results that you're going to take if you take a completely inert pill, but you're told it could be, you know, incredibly beneficial for your health. That's the power of your mind. Your mind can create that benefit for your health 
without that pill actually necessarily physiologically doing anything. That's so and, powerful. Yeah. How do we like, I love the analogy. I've heard the analogy of the trench where it's like, you've taken that path so many times. There's mm-hmm. that pattern, that behavior, that response. Um, how do we start to like fill up that trench and doubt, like update the app? <laughs> Maybe we seem, need to talk a little bit more about what's going on, but I'm really <laughs> just blown away by like 95% of what's happening in our brain is subconscious, right? People are like, what? I like hear my brain talk to me and that's the truth. And that's everything and it really isn't right (laughs) yeah it really isn't and and especially like you know you think of your thoughts you you know we so often we think our thoughts are ourselves like oh yeah those are my thoughts they're me Mm, but they're just like they're they're really an automatic creation that's that's been there and so how do we how do we shift that and how do we tap into that and again that's that's where uh, you know, I really, you know, still love teaching hypnobirthing classes and looking at tapping into the subconscious, unconscious, um, using, you know, things like self-hypnosis. Also, you know, using um, these amazing, like really uh, worldwide known as like, you know, the top mind-body solutions like hypnosis, like neuro-linguistic programming, which is really, you know, speaking the language of the mind to make sustainable change in our behavior and our results. It is about really tapping into our mind, our brain, kind of what's there that we've unfortunately been also programmed and to be disconnected from. You know, that our gut instinct, you know, our our intuition, a level of thinking that we weren't necessarily um, supported to, taught to, praised for connecting to um, as a kid and and when we were young. Um, it it's something that uh, Dr. Gabor Mate uh, has really been talking about more, especially with his book, um, The Myth of Normal, and some of the interviews that um, that he's done around that. And I don't know if you've you've seen any of his interviews, Lisa, around that. I haven't checked it out too much. It's on my list of to check out, but I've actually been in a period of time where I feel like I've been taking on so much information that I've actually not been listening to podcasts and reading, mm-hmm. you know, um, the news and nonfiction as much. I've just felt like, yeah, I'm, I need to like sort my own thoughts and brain out and not that yeah. I'm totally isolated, but, you know, I really want to check out all these things, but I've just been feeling so overwhelmed. I guess that, what was it? The 12 million bits of <laughs> information per second. <laughs> Exactly, Lisa. And that's so great. And and it is one of those pieces, uh, God, especially now with what's going on in the world. Mm-hmm. We need to be really mindful of what we allow ourselves to take in and what influences us. So, so, you know, to again, to, you know, take a break, take a little, uh, a little digital detox, a little break from news, a break from social media, break from podcasts, all of those things, that can be a really healthy thing to do for sure. 
But I want to, yeah, I definitely want to hear more. I know you've read Gabor Mate's books and you're really following him. So mm-hmm. hear what he's sharing. Yeah, because I again, and, and this is, he's probably uh, been a big influence on on why I am so interested in this mind-body connection when it comes to our health. Because even when you haven't had, you know, like a big T trauma, um, traumatic childhood or traumatic experiences in your life, there's what we can often be faced with in a really subtle way is being forced, you know, the way he kind of describes it as being forced to choose between authenticity like really who we truly are and attachment and, you know, attachment to our caregiver and just in really, again, in really subtle ways that we don't even think of, but, you know, you, you know, you may think of, you know, a time or just in general when you grew, grew up and, you know, you were told, okay, you know, don't cry, don't, don't, you know, don't act out, don't have a tantrum, you know, disconnect from that side of you. Or even, you know, if you had this feeling like there was tension in the household, or someone was sad, and you could feel it, but you were told, oh, no, everything's fine. Everything's okay. You don't need to worry about it. You know, adults were kind of keeping a secret you could kind of tell because often, especially when we're that young and sensitive, we know something's off, but we're told everything's okay. So then we tell ourselves, oh, I must be wrong then. I can't mm-hmm. trust my gut feelings. I can't trust my gut instinct. Yeah, I think that and then we, a lot, yeah. that happens a lot, right? And it's not like it was malicious or anything. It's often, um, you know, just you're around adults that don't necessarily know how to emotionally process things themselves. So how are they supposed to support you to emotionally, yeah. you know, process as a young child? Or and no, so we they're protecting you, right? They think it's in yes. a way protecting you from yes. the, the in quotes, hard stuff. Yeah. But really, it's, it's going to cause more problems. Exactly. And that in that way, we can really subtly but significantly really lose the connection with our true self. And so it really is a process of rebuilding that connection. And, and then really trusting that gut instinct, that intuition, that, uh, you know, how the unconscious mind can speak to us. So that then we can really start a process uh, and and continue a process of that connection and of, you know, really being gently able to let go of what's been there, um, kind of, you know, let go of some of the, the baggage that we've been carrying around since we've been, you know, kids in terms of um, the events that had really negative emotions connected to us or whether there's especially you know a repression or suppression of different emotions like anger like sadness um guilt shame those kind of things are things that we can carry around with us and um and so having you know some some really amazing techniques that be that are able to tap into that 
and to help to start to release that so that we can lessen that load of what we're carrying and can start to shift how we can be automatically triggered or activated um, to go into that, you know, fight or flight response is what's really going to be incredibly beneficial for our health, for our immune system, for our hormones, for our body to be able to function the way it's designed to function and repair itself in the way that it's designed to, to repair itself. Mm-hmm. You've explained explained it so well. And I think a lot of times in perimenopause, women have such emotional changes and upheavals, right? There's more rage, there's more anger, there's mm-hmm. more sadness, there's, you know, grief, loss of self, kind of a rebuilding. And I think it's because we, you know, we can live with these beliefs and patterns for so long. And sometimes we're just in survival mode, to be honest, and we don't have the brain space and the time to kind of process and then kind of reset these. But as our hormones are fluctuating, I think it is a powerful time for us to embrace some of this discomfort, even though it's really uncomfortable, and look at where is this coming from? And what is my next chapter going to look like? Like, I now, you know, we are in of an age where we're still caring for young kids and older adults, whereas in, you know, um, decades ago, kids would typically be older and maybe out of the house. So we're trying to juggle all the things and juggle our own emotions and kind of being fed up with the patterns and behaviors that maybe, you know, served us at some times in our life for survival. But now it's like, what do we really want? What do we, how do we express our true authentic self? And I really love how Brene Brown talks about belonging versus fitting in, right? We see with kids, Mm -hmm. they want to fit in. So that means changing who you are to be like everybody else. So they accept you for who you are not technically, right? But um, belonging is being who you are and being accepted for who you are, even if that's totally different. And I think, you know, in this, there is a lot of fitting in, there's a, a lot of pressure on social media to do things a certain way. You know, even what does celebration look like? Does that involve alcohol? What does, a, mm-hmm. you know, being a good mom look like? Do you have to have the ber- perfect birthday party and the, the fancy like box lunch with all these little fancy, you know, foods and things that you've made. So um, I think we just reach a breaking point and, and perimenopause and menopause can be a great time of upheaval and discomfort, but then it's a time of awakening and change and questioning and moving forward. And I think the work that, that you're talking about, Tony, is so powerful. And what, like, what, how can we use that NLP, that language? How can we use some of these tools, like I think you wanted to walk us through an activity yeah. or an exercise too. What could, what's something we can start to do? Yeah, this is, uh, and, and I think that's so key. And absolutely, you know, we can talk about, and I'm sure we'll talk about this in future episodes too. And, um, and then it's like, okay, how do we start to make these shifts? Because I agree, Lisa, that this is the perfect time. And, and during perimenopause, as we go into menopause, this is the perfect time to really start to question you know, the what kind of, uh, you know, um, beliefs are you kind of compulsively acting out or, or are you putting others' emotional needs um, before your own? It's like, okay, you know, let's start to really look at what's there. And, and so we, yeah, let's do just a, a quick exercise um, to that can kind of illustrate um, really the power of being able to tap into 
what's there for you. So, um, so then, okay, just you can sit, sit back, close your eyes and take a deep breath and really get into your body and have that breath like go in and out and down all the way down to the soles of your feet. And as you're breathing and feeling your body, I want you to think about what is the one thing, you know, the biggest fear, the biggest concern, the biggest worry that creates the most stress for you? Think about that. And as you think about that one thing that is the biggest stress for you right now, do you have a picture? You know, do you have a picture in your mind of that repre- representation of that, what that is? Do you have a picture? Is it black and white or color? Is it focused or defocused? Is it movie or still? Is it framed or panoramic? How big is that picture? What location of that picture is? What's the location of that picture in relationship to your body? Is there any sounds that are important? Are there any feelings that are important? And then I want you to open your eyes and actually imagine that you're holding that picture in your hands in front of you, feeling the weight of that picture in front of you. And then as you're holding that picture in front of you, and you could even look at it in your hands, want you to use your breath and really forcefully blow that picture, start to blow that picture away from you. So breathe in and out and breathe in and blow it out. Start to blow it away from you, blow it up towards the sun. If you can see the sun, perfect. If not, imagine the sun is out there and just blowing that picture out towards the sun, closer and closer to the sun, almost there, and watch the sun burn up that picture. Use your breath and use your exhalation as as long as you can, as often as you can to get that picture out into the sun, burning up that picture, and seeing that picture burn up into the sun Then close your eyes again and think of the person who will, who is the biggest cheerleader, your biggest support, who will always have your back, who will always love you unconditionally, who will always be cheering you on. Or think of the person that you would love to model, you know, your superhero the most amazing person that you could think of that you would love to really embody. Maybe it's Wonder Woman. Maybe it's Oprah. Maybe it's Beyonce, like someone just awesome, so powerful. And when you think of that person, do you have a picture? And make that picture 
so bright, so colorful. Surround yourself in that picture, head to toe all around you. You're just engulfed in that picture. Make it the most perfect picture. Have the most perfect sounds, have the most perfect smells, the perfect colors, the perfect feelings associated. Really feel that support, that powerfulness, that love and just stand in it, really feel it, surround yourself with it. Just completely surrounded by that perfect picture. And as you're surrounded by that perfect picture, I want you to lock it into place like Tupperware. Lock it into place. And then open your eyes, come back to the room. Whatever room you're in. Wow, that was powerful. I love that visualization of blowing it to the sun and just seeing it disintegrate and then actually doing that. Like, does that like remove the fear? I guess like we're replacing the fear with feelings of, you know, love and hope and, you know, how we want to be or how we're supported. Like what sort of, what sort of does that do? Yeah, again, you know, it's a way of really tapping into what's under the surface, what maybe you weren't aware of before, you know, you may have been aware of the fear, the stress that was there, not aware of what could be there that you can replace it with. So this was, again, just a really simple way of having that really, that big shift of using your mind, using the filters to impact your thoughts, your emotions, your physiology, to be able to feel calmer, to feel more centered, more focused, without those negative thoughts, emotions impacting you in the moment. Um, so again, just a really uh, a simple tool that you could use day in and day out as often as you need to switch that. And, and I, you know, gives you an idea of how we can really tap into those pictures in our mind, those movies in our mind, that are representations, and how we do have the ability to shift them, so that we do, uh, do have the ability to really harness the power of our mind to get to a place where we're not overwhelmed by that and we can move forward in a different way. You know, there's, a, again, a number of other techniques that, you know, use the same kind of idea to, again, shift um, the beliefs that are there, the feelings that are there so that we can feel more confident and able to move forward. Um, again, just, you know, part of a, a number of different processes that we can do to tap into that. Yeah, that was so powerful. I think you explained it so well. And some people might have been surprised about what fear came up. And then just to see the power of shifting our attention and our focus to something different can really change our state. So we'll actually link to episode 24, which is our tired and wired episode, what you need to know about cortisol and stress, because there's lots of tools in there to help down-regulate that nervous system and get into that parasympathetic nervous system. But Tony, I think we just uh, we just uh, touched the tip of the iceberg. Uh, I love your analogy <laughs> for the mind too, so we'll have to do a part two for this. But is there anything else we should cover before we go to the next part of the episode? 
I think we gave a lot of people enough to kind of think about and and chew on for a little while. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. It's yes, this might be some new information for people. So, um, but definitely check out episode 24 and we'll do a part two to this one. Um, But now we'll shift to the next part of the podcast. So Tony, do you want to share your super mom moment? Yeah, thanks, Lisa. I felt great about this Halloween Not only did we have like lots of fun going out and went trick-or-treating with Frankie and she was like running between all the houses, getting as much candy as she could. Well, she's definitely at the, at the age now where she knows how much candy she collected and she wasn't about to forget about it. So this was the first year that we actually did the switch, Witch. now I don't know if I did it in the best way, but we got, got her on board with the switch, Witch and giving her candy away and, and, you know, getting a little toy instead. So, I mean, there was a little bit of just slight drama around it as well. So I don't, I don't know if I set it up as perfectly as I could, but, and I did it. It was, it, it was fantastic. So we got, that means that the majority of the Halloween candy is out of our house right now, which is amazing. Good for her and good for me as well. Great job, Tony. Yeah, the switch which we've used before, which, yeah, for people that don't know, you tell them, okay, if you put your candy out at night, when you wake up, the switch which, like the candy you don't want, um, the switch which will take the candy and leave you a twice. We've done that with Stuart, but this year I forgot. So that's my mama mess up. And he went on a rampage getting so much candy. Like I can't even believe how much he has right now. Um, I'm not quite sure what we're going to do about that. I guess the switch which could come later. Um, Can the switch which still come? Totally. Maybe the switch which was just so busy this year or had to wait for that special toy to come in or, um, you know, I I guess ideally it wouldn't be a toy, but, you know, I'd I'd pick a toy over candy, I guess, but maybe some sort of activity or um, adventure we could go on. But then I heard another great strategy that another parent did for that does for their kids. So they tell their kids that they have a month to eat their Halloween candy. And after that, it's leaving the house. So I don't know if that means it's, you know, going to somebody, going to the workplace going in the garbage, probably not, but probably going elsewhere. Um, And then actually the kids, when they go trick-or-treating, they don't want to go for too long because they know that they can only eat the candy within a month's time. So the one kid whose um, parents did this went home like after half an hour, whereas Stuart and his other friends continued on. He's like, I can't get too much candy because I can't eat it after the month. So I was like, wow, that's brilliant. And that's like some self-control there. So maybe we'll think about a different strategy uh, next year. But I know he has so much fun going from house to house until, you know, eight o'clock or so. That is a great strategy. Although a month of eating all of that candy seems like a long time. Maybe a week or two. I think they get like a limited amount per day or per week, yeah, but yeah, yeah it's not like maybe a week, but maybe a week is good. Yeah. <laughs> but we usually have the candy, like we seriously have candy from last year still. So yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> um, but yeah. We're, we're both trying to do the best we can, but I think just having different strategies can help. And then Tony, what's your mama must have? Well, my mama must have actually is is another kind of sweet thing. Um, I'm a such a big fan of local honey. Um, so we definitely use that on a regular basis in our teas. And, you know, uh, honey having some, uh, you know, just really gentle antiviral properties. So it can be great for the immune system. It can be great to have instead of just, you know, plain old white sugar. 
And then with local honey, you're also, you know, giving your almost kind of desensitizing your immune system to some of the pollens and other environmental things in the air um, that you would experience in your environment. So it can be um, really great for people who have uh, seasonal allergies. So yeah, I love using local honey, supporting local businesses, supporting the bees in our area, all good stuff. Amazing. Yeah. And how about you, Lisa? What's your mama must have for this week? Definitely my light box. I have a Ver- we have a Verilux light box, otherwise known as a happy light. And because it's such short days here now in um, Canada and Ontario, the time just changed. So at least it's a little brighter earlier, but it's still dark when I get up. Um, the light blocks I use, you put, I put it on for about half an hour while I'm, you know, getting ready, doing my makeup, my hair, even while I'm like, having breakfast. And I find it just really gives me a boost in energy and mood. And it it does help shut down that melatonin production when it's still dark out. So we don't kind of have that lingering groggy feeling until the sun comes up. So I'm loving it. I'm using it every day. So definitely a lifesaver during the, the winter months here in Canada. Oh, that's a great reminder, Lisa, I need to pull out my light box too. Awesome. You're great. And thanks everyone for listening. Again, uh, you can find our show notes for the episode where you listen to this episode and on our website at perimenopausalmamas.com. You can email us and connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. We'd love for you to subscribe. Leave us a review and a five-star rating if you enjoyed this episode. And you can also support us by visiting our Patreon page too. And tell your perimenopausal mama friends about us. Stay safe and healthy, everyone. Until next time. Bye. Bye.